Well, it's wonderful to be able to open up the scriptures with you tonight. How many of you love the word of God? Uh, I just, it's the highest privilege there is to be able to have the book of books in your hand, to be able to look through that book like a window at the face of Jesus Christ and get to know the character and nature and the goodness of God through the text. And then the spirit comes and gets it out of the book and into your life, right? Isn't that amazing? So let's look at the scriptures tonight. What do you say? While, um, while I'm doing that, I just got to thank Gary and Gail for having me. I love them so much and their humble hearts. Oh my gosh. How many of you have recognized that humility is really hard to find these days? <laughs> well, with Gary and Gail, it's such a, a manifestation of the lowliness and meekness of Jesus to be able to be with them and see that there's no hierarchy, no red tape. It's just good family. You know, I love that. So let's open up our scriptures. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Maybe you have your phone or whatever. But let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, uh, I'm going to tell you a little story about an old saint. Uh, an old saint was asked one time, what is this gospel that you believe and how do you believe it? And the old saint answered, the gospel that I believe is that God is satisfied with his son. And how I believe it is that I'm satisfied with him too. That's the gospel. Satisfied with Christ. So in, in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to take a look at something very special. Talk about lovers and the sweet romance of Christ. Perfect in every way. Um, when we... When we come to dine with each other, there are, no matter how many foods are given to us at a dinner that we go to, there are certain things that are absolutely necessary. For instance, plates, right? Utensils, maybe a table or two. But um, when we come together, there's, there's these things that are so important no matter what the food is. And I feel like it's the same when we come together like this. No matter what the serving or, or teaching or ministry will be, there are, above all, fundamental necessities. And one of those is what we're going to talk about tonight. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, and here it is, gave himself up for her. Gave himself up for her. We see something about Jesus here, and it is likening him to a husband who lays his life down for his wife. Talk about romance of romances. We have a king who dies in our stead. Talk about romances of romances. This isn't just rose petals and a night out. This is, I give my entire life up for you, for you, to save you. And it goes on here and it says, so that he might sanctify her that set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word that he might present to himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves 
his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, remember the image here, nourishes and cherishes it. Specifically, the bridegroom nourishes, he cherishes his wife. He lays himself down for her that he might set her apart, that he might clean her and then bring her back to himself. He lays his life down for her so that he might nourish her and he might cherish her. This is charm of charms. You know, there are many superlatives in life. For instance, the Bible is the book of books. Song of Solomon is called the song of songs. Jesus is called the king of kings, right? Well, when we look at this superlative, what we're seeing here is that there is a charm of charms. Jesus has infinite charms, but there is a, a charm that seems like glitter to catch the eye. And that glittering charm of Christ that seems to catch the eye in the midst of his infinite charms is this charm of laying down his life for his bride. And that's what I want to call our attention to tonight. If I've, if I've seen anything in my Christian life over the years, I've, I've been seeing that this reality of Christ dying in our place, giving himself up for us, sometimes because it's so often heard and so often known and so often read and so often sung, sometimes it seems to lose its luster in our eyes. Sometimes its glistening glory seems to fade to us. Sometimes its fragrance, its sweet spring of salvation seems to lose its, its fragrance to us because it becomes so familiar. Its vibration seems to be gone. And that tender touch of the Trinity doesn't have the potency that it used to have because we become so familiar with this fact that Christ has loved us so much that he gave himself up for us. To think upon that is to look upon that charm of charms. All the things you can see about Christ's nature and goodness, they find their peak in him laying down everything for us that he might have us. Reinhard Bunke used to say, Christ gave himself for us that he might give himself to us. Praise God. And so when I look at these, these realities of Christ and the tenderness of his love, I remember things like, look over at Titus chapter 2, verse 14. There's a, a scripture that just kind of rings with this charm. The 14th verse, it says this. It says, who, talking about Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us. But if you were to just take those five words, he gave himself for us. Those five words, if we could keep those five words before our eyes and let them be the prism through which we look at every person, through which we look at every situation, through which we look upon our lives, through which we look ahead to eternity, he gave himself for us. It will keep our hearts lit. It will be a sparkle on the inside of us that causes us to constantly be rising up in worship to the Lord. Uh, a couple of other of these wonderful charms that we see is we see that in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14, it says, He gave Himself for us that He might deliver us from this present evil age. Again, you see it. He gives Himself for us. You say, Eric, I've heard this 
all my life. Yeah, that's the danger. That's the danger is that you pass by it and, and it wouldn't be the source of your, of your love for him anymore. It would just be something that you file away in that category called, I know that already. <laughs> I want to call our attention to this, the charm of charms, that Jesus would die. Jesus would give himself for us. There's a, another scripture here that I look at in Romans chapter 5 six through eight, you, you've, need, you've known this probably your whole Christian life. It says that while we were still sinners or yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the charm of charms that I call our attention to tonight because to keep this before us causes our hearts to stay aglow with love. It causes our hearts to stay aglow with being able to see things properly. When we lose this paradigm, this understanding, it affects everything in our seeing. Our whole sight goes off once we lose the palpitation, the, the inward beating of this heart that he has loved us so much as a bridegroom that gives his life and dies for his bride. I call our attention to this because I feel it to be very necessary in my life. People ask me sometimes, when you go to pray in the morning, how do you start? I start right here. He gave himself for us. Eric, Eric, how do you, what do you do? What's the secret to experiencing God every day? Well, go into a room, sit down and say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You say, Eric, that's the gospel. Yeah, not only do we enter by the gospel, we live upon the gospel. It's not just the, the runway for the plane to take off. It's the very engine that keeps the plane in the air. This gospel is life supply. It's not just that the power of God, it's the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, not just salvation from hell. It's salvation from bad thought patterns. It's salvation today. It's salvation from having a bad spirit on the inside. And when I say spirit, I mean like a paradigm, a, a way of thinking, a, a way of being towards others. It's salvation from self. Oh, goodness gracious, Vance Havner said, if Jesus didn't come to save us from self-infatuation, I don't know what he came to do. I need salvation from me. Constantly, I need salvation from me. And the power of God for that is in the gospel. And the gospel is he was so kind and so loving and so good and so romantic to lay his life down for me. Praise God. So I call our attention to this and let me just pull a couple more scriptures out because they're, they're very special. I, I wanna look at Galatians chapter two, verse 20. Look at these words that Paul says. He says, two, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God. Look at this, who loved me and gave himself up for me. He loved me and he gave himself up. Charm of charms. <laughs> Romeo's got nothing on Christ <laughs> because he gives himself up for me and for you. He gave himself up 
for me. If you look over at Revelation chapter one, there's this incredible statement that just, it's like when I read it, it almost is like God breathing into my mouth, life on the inside, extra life into me. Verse six or the middle of five, it says, talking of Jesus to him who loves, loves, loves us, not just loved past tense, loves us and gave or released us from our sins by his blood to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his own blood. Praise God. It moves me when it says loves because it's easy for us to recognize that he loved me when he died for me. But the reality is, is that that love on the cross remains today because he released us from our sins. He loves you today like he loved you when he died. To remember his death is to remember the kind of love he currently has for you and it sets you free from self. And it makes you free to be able to believe him and to receive him and not let his presence go unnoticed. He's come to take the curse away that separates us from the Holy One. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, look at this one. I hope, uh, you know, Dan Kalinda likes to <laughs> say I... I I'm sorry for, pre uh, for quoting so much scripture while preaching the word. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, look at this. Uh, be imitators of, of Christ and walk in love just as Christ also loved you. Look at this. And he gave himself up. You see, the language is consistent here. He gives himself up for us. And that brings us back to the, where we started, that this bridegroom would love you and loves you so much that he gave himself up for you that he might give himself to you. Praise God. Say, Eric, what are you, what are you wanting to talk to us about tonight? Well, I, I want to I point out something in this vein that I feel is just so forgotten. You know, when we look at him loving us and, and dying for us, it's important to remember that he came to save you when you, don't, you did not deserve to be saved. And there's not, there's not a person who lived any kind of life that deserved Jesus to come and die for them. You, you know, you may say, you know, I haven't done anything outwardly bad. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're inwardly good. <laughs> you know, I've lived a beautiful life, but a snake is beautiful and he's full of poison. You can, you can think that you, you've done nothing wrong in your life, but the truth of the matter is, is we're, we are wrong. <laughs> the scripture says we all have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. Isaiah 53 puts two things together, that when you go your own way, you are going astray. <laughs> so that is wickedness in and of itself to not go the way of the Lord, to not be submitted to God. That's wickedness itself. And he has come to save us. And when we realize this, we, we see that God would not lose any of his greatness or his goodness if he snapped his fingers and humanity was gone. He, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't increase or decrease in his goodness or his kindness or his greatness. In other words, we are of such small significance, if any significance. And you say, Eric, what's the point of even saying that? Because it shows how great his love is that he didn't need to do this, he chose to do this. He didn't have to prove himself because he's already perfect. He didn't have to show himself because he's already revealed his glories. He does this simply because and only because he loves you. <laughs> That's goodness. You think of these charms that Jesus has, like justice and, and you think of mercy and he possesses all these charms in full degree perfectly. 
And he, he carries them perfectly symmetrical and balanced. For instance, if he had so, if he had so much justice and, and not enough mercy, nobody'd survive. But if he had all mercy and no justice, everybody'd just be a free-for-all. So but he, he, he will judge sin completely, and yet he's so full of mercy. And how do these two things even come together? They'll never meet face to face except on the cross. <laughs> then you see that you deserve hell and death. You deserve it. That's justice, that it should come to you. But Jesus is so full of mercy, he takes it for you. Therefore, justice and mercy kiss at the cross. This is a charm of charms that he gave himself up for you. I read a fable the other day that the, the moon of sorrow and the sun of joy were sad that they would never meet one another. And then the cross happened and the sun of joy and the moon of sorrow for the first time met face to face at the cross because we see the sorrows of the man of sorrows, but we see the joy of salvation, that wellspring of salvation. So I just call our attention tonight to these wonderful charms of Jesus because I feel like they are the glitter that catches the eye. Some, some people get bored in Christianity. It's because what has happened is they have forgotten what it means that he gave himself for us. When you think of he gave himself for us, you think of four things. One, who are we talking about? Two, what did he give? Three, he gave himself. And four, he did it for us. Just, just to touch on these for a second, who are we talking about? We're talking about the one that the scripture says, through whom all things came into being. Not all things as a catch-all, all things, all things. <laughs> Every single thing. The air that's hitting your face right now, the breath that's in your lungs, your own brain function, the pine needles on the trees, the bird that flies up here and is yellow on the wire, every single thing, sound waves, time, existence, it all came into being by him and is sustained by him and it's all for him. That one came and died for you. Not just a being of some kind, a good guy. This is creator himself, capital C, God Almighty, dropping down out of heaven by the weight of love into the restrictions and frailties of a human body that he might walk amongst his creation, enter into his creation, speak to his creation, be rejected by his creation, mocked by his creation, questioned by his creation and there he stands and he still stands today as a man with glorified scars. He gave himself for you. He gave himself for us. You say, Eric, what is it again that, you, that you're saying? Well, I hope I can make it as clear as possible that he did this for you to show you himself. Charles Spurgeon writes, do you think that he's stern? Do you think that God is stern? Well, if he were, why'd he die? Do you think that he is unkind? Well, why did he bleed? You are inclined to think harshly of him? Well, you are making great cuts at his heart when you think him untender and ungenerous to you. You say, Eric, what, what is it? It is this, the charm of charms that Jesus has died for you, offered himself for you, that you might have him in your in your heart and in your life to, to draw your attention to these things. 
I believe, is no small consequence. As a matter of fact, the, the, the New Testament letters have all kinds of problems in them. If you read Ephesians, you, you see uh, different things that are exhortive or, and, and different things that he wants to tell them to uh, husbands love your wives, you know, little things like this. If you look at Colossians, you see all these different things that are coming in and being mixed with faith. And then you look at Galatians and circumcision comes in and you see each letter, there's a problem. Philippians, there's these two women that won't get along. So you have all these problems and you'll notice each and every problem that Paul comes to address. He exalts Jesus Christ and preaches the gospel again to them. It is the gospel that saves. I ask you, you know, what is it that you desire in your life? Well, he gave himself for you. <laughs> what is it that you, that you need in your life? Well, he gave, he gave himself for you. I need satisfaction in my life. Well, he gave himself for you. What is the meaning of life? He gave himself for you. What is joy? He gave himself for you. You look at your life and you say, man, I, I need forgiveness. Well, he gave himself. I need deliverance. He gave himself for you. I need assurance. He gave himself. I need answers. He gave himself for you. It's this universal solution to all the problems of mankind. The character, the nature, the goodness, the love of this great bridegroom who gives himself for you. I look at these things and I, I wrote this poem down today, actually, just praying in the spirit. All, all things dissolve before his charms. Whether gold falls into our lap or tragedy sets us back, he gave himself. And pain, loss, or trial enriches dreams and smiles, he gave himself for you. Long life and gladness or a short life of sadness, he still gave his life for you. <laughs> to me, it just should trump all things and create in us a desire to know him and to long for him and to rightly give ourselves in proper response to him. I have five quick things that I feel like will happen to us if we lose this paradigm and move past the gospel and move past this charm of the Lord and try to look into other things. The first thing that'll happen to us is our worship will become about something else. What do you mean? I mean, we'll begin to worship ourselves. Worship will turn into everything about ourselves. That's why I loved what Katie did tonight. She was looking at the lamb. She was going straight up. She, she spent no time messing around with the drone zone. She went up into the, through the ozone. <laughs> and that's what we want. And what happens when our eyes don't see and remember this great love that he had for us. What happens is, is we begin to worship ourselves. We make the scriptures about ourselves. And everything is about us instead of recognizing that the triumphant act of all the ages is that he gave himself for us, my goodness. So our worship should be inspired by this fact. He gave himself. You have a hard time worshiping one day, think upon it. He, who am I talking about? The creator of the ages, what did he do? He gave, it's gifted, it's free. You can't earn it. It's completely given to you. What did he give? Himself for you. This causes worship to begin to rise in the heart. As a matter of fact, on the gift note, Charles Spurgeon writes this. He says, if all worlds were to be coined and minted, yet they could not purchase one tear from the Redeemer, they're not worth it. It must be grace. It cannot be by merit. It has to be Christ and his perfect love. The second thing that'll happen is our interests will become wayward. 
In other words, we can even keep our interest on Christian things. And in the midst of being taken by fads and taken by different theological interests, we forget the core of the beauty of the Lord revealed in this, that he gave himself for us. How many of you have seen this in your life? I've seen it happen to many friends. They get taken by a current of some kind of cool thing and they move past and beyond the thing. I remember I went through a season in my life. This is a very personal story. I don't know why I'm sharing it, but I went through a very uh, uh, difficult season in my life where I became so theological in my mind. I was studying Greek and studying Hebrew and I was really getting into like the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign of Christ. And these are all wonderful things. It's beautiful. I was studying the scriptures so much that I had moved really beyond the simple gospel that he gave himself for me. I would fight with people about once saved, always saved, and Calvinism, Arminianism, Molinism, all these things. And I was so just up here in my head. And then I went to see Dan Kalinda one day. He was in town and I really didn't want to go, but I went just because he's my friend. And he got up on the keyboard and he started singing this song, Hallelujah, you have won the victory. Hallelujah, you know, you have won it all for me. Death could not hold you down. And when I heard him singing the simple gospel, something happened and like a veil came off and the scales fell off my eyes. And I realized I had left the simplicity of he gave himself for me. And I broke down crying and I felt like the Lord pulled my heart back to himself and said, this is where I want you to stay. Bunky used to tell me all the time when I'd take him to the airport, he'd say, Eric, never leave the ABCs. Stay in the ABCs. It's just, it's the safest place. Jesus died for me. Stay there. You'll never exhaust it. It's what all the scripture's pointing to. As you know, the scripture in the Old Testament points this way to Christ. And then the whole Old Testament, or New Testament points this way to the fact that he came. And then when you look at Jesus, you remember he's going to drop down from the sky. It's all about this simple person who gave himself for me. The next thing that happens is if we lose this paradigm of the fact of the gospel he gave himself for me, our love will cool down. You, you know, John Wesley defined the world as anything that cools my love for God. Anything that cools my love for God is the world. And I find that everything outside of the gospel is not a flame that can keep, that can keep me warm. Anything outside of the gospel doesn't have enough heat to keep my body temperature up. I grow cold quick. I need the heat of the gospel to keep me warm before God. Uh, I need that flame burning on the inside. Just recently, Bunky, I was listening to old Bunky messages and he said something like this. He said, I don't keep the flame going. His flame keeps me going. <laughs> if I just stay at the gospel, that's the flame of God. I just want to stay there. That will keep me going. If I'll just stay at the gospel, that flame will do the work to keep itself. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We don't want to move beyond it. As a matter of fact, our love for the Lord experiential love for the Lord will be forever connected to this. Do I believe? Do I receive? Do I sense and feel by specifically applying faith to the word of God that Jesus has died for me? My love for Jesus will be determined by that. My love for Jesus will cool to the degree I lose touch with that. The next thing is that gratitude will change in our lives, if we leave this, uh, this reality that he 
gave himself for me. If I leave that, I'll begin to change thanksgiving into something that it's not. What is, what is changing thanksgiving into something it's not? When you begin to thank God for things so that he doesn't take them away. He say, what, I'm not allowed to do that. Well, that's not real thanksgiving. Real thanksgiving is to recognize you deserve nothing. And that everything that God gives to you is by mercy and by goodness and grace, all unto him. Nothing earned. Gratitude is this. Lord, I realize that it is all from your hand and your goodness. And you know what else? Sometimes we can change gratitude into this. I love my house. Or I thank you for my car. Listen, your car can break down and your house can burn up. And you even can thank God for your health. Listen, health slips away. We all know this. But the reality is, is this. Jesus Christ gave himself for us and that's a thanksgiving that will always be perpetually giving. That's a thanksgiving that keeps the heart alive and will always keep you full of joy. To remember that he gave himself for you will keep real thanksgiving in our hearts. Also, lastly, if we forget that he gave himself for us, it will remove from our eyes the example he's given to us for living with others. You say, I don't know what that means. What it means is this. If we don't have that flicker and flame on the inside through remembering that Jesus has given himself for us, it will be hard for us to give ourselves for others. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in John 15, verse 13, he says, greater love has no man than this, that he would give himself up, lay down his life for his friends. Then he says, love one another. In other words, lay your life down for one another. Laying our lives down for one another is specifically tied together, sewn together with a recognition that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. And I would venture to say it is connected to not only believing it, but believing it to the point of actually having a vibrant living experience of that thing. I think this is just so important. I've, I've been watching different people fall off in the last few years and it really just goes back to this. Does the... does the love of Jesus perpetually reveal itself to you through gazing upon the gospel? Is the beauty of Christ recognized in this charm of charms that he gave himself for us? There's a scripture in uh, 1 John 4, 19. You, you guys know it, that we love him because he first loved us. If we don't know what that love looks like, which is he gave himself for us, then we'll never be able to actually feel the burn of the new flame he puts in the heart by a sight of what he's like. How many of you have recognized that when you see him, something happens on the inside? To perceive him, to recognize him by the Spirit, to see his love, believe his love, causes the birthing of love in our hearts. And so he gave himself for us that he might give himself to us. I told you, Bunky said, and I wrote this down from Charles Spurgeon. He says, our heaven is this Christ. Our heaven is this Christ. He gave himself for us. Oh, he is all that we want. Oh, he is all that we could wish for. Oh, we cannot desire anything greater or better than to be with Christ, to feed on Christ, to lie in Christ's bosom, to know the kiss of his mouth, to see the love gleanings in his eyes, to hear his loving words, to feel him press us to his heart, 
that he loved us while we were still sinners and gave himself for us is the love of loves, the superlative of all superlatives, him and his great love and his great goodness. So let me just bring it together in a conclusion. I've already said it probably 50 times. He gave himself for us. And to keep this before our eyes is the secret of Christianity. And to keep it in a, the, the, the treasure box of our hearts and keep it there as the most precious and prized possession of our lives that he has loved me so. To keep it there is to keep that heart aglow. But here's the thing. If we get into that Christian American way of being, that Western numbness, then man, we can turn everything in this Christian life into coldness and staleness and dryness. But I think just like a, you take a, a, a cloth and you dip it down into the dye, now that dye has filled everything inside of that fabric and now you take that fabric out and that fabric now smells like the dye, it looks like the dye, the dye has permeated every bit of that fabric. I believe that that's what looking at the love of God does. He dips you in himself by the gospel so that you can begin to smell like him, begin to look like him, and that he can infiltrate every part of your being with himself. The love of God does this miracle and it is seen in no other place more clearly than Jesus Christ giving himself for us. I've come to preach Jesus Christ to you tonight. <laughs> Praise God. This is what I think we should do. Maybe you're here right now and you know that the truth of him giving himself for you is kind of like ho-hum. Maybe you're in that place where you're like, you know, I know it should make my heart break. I know that it should move me, but it just doesn't. I wanna, I wanna reach to you tonight and say, let's take that truth and tell the Lord and say, Lord, I need help. I recognize this should mean the world to me. I recognize it should be the center of my dreams, my, the center of my life. I realize what this should be, but it's not. So I say to you, Lord, please, tonight, I recognize the coldness of my heart, and I want to say, Lord, help me. Maybe, like, like Charles Spurgeon once said, how can a stone rise, Lord? In other words, he recognized his heart was just dead as stone, but he told the Lord about it. Lord, my heart is stone. How can it rise? Oh, raise me, God. Maybe your love for the Lord is like a stone tonight, cold and hard and dead and dry. You can say to the Lord, oh Lord, how can a stone rise? In other words, I can't chip myself into a river, but if I'll bask in your beams, you'll turn me into streams. If I can recognize that there's a, a heart of stone in my heart and I can realize that I've grown into this over time by bitterness, by betrayal, by this person saying this and that and the other and things not going right and you're offended even with God and you get to this point where you can realize this, then you can take that heart of stone and you say, Lord, I go back to the gospel that saved me and I give this stone heart to the gospel that the reality of you giving yourself for me would drop down like lightning and split that stone in half and give me once again a heart of flesh, a heart that knows you, loves you, desires you, feels you, and it palpitates with great desire. And you can say with David, oh, my soul pines for you, God. Every fiber of my being longs for you. Maybe you used to be like that, but today it's just kind of like, uh, whatever, I'm, I'm older now. I don't need that anymore. I tell you, he gave himself for you. 
that he might have your heart and give himself to you. Please stand to your feet with me. And let's just put together, let's do this. Let's put our, our hands on our hearts. Just as like a symbol of saying, Lord, here's the condition of my heart. You know it to be true. You know what's really going on. I can't fool you. Yeah, just put your hand right there in your heart. Yeah. Let's just say this together, even if you don't necessarily feel like you need to be revived in your heart. Let's just all do this together. Just say this with me. Say, oh God, I recognize that my heart is growing cold, heavy, stale, hard because of things in my life and things done to me, things I expected, things I neglected, things I've collected. Lord, I just give my heart to you. And I say, I can't raise my own heart. I can't turn my stone heart into flesh. But I look to you who does miracles and who longs for this, who desires to do this. And I ask you now, take my heart. Say, take my heart and let it be forever closed to all but thee. Seal thou my breast and let me wear the pledge of love forever there. In Jesus' name.